Welcome to React Roundup. I'm your host for today, Jack Harrington, and with me is the incomparable TJ Van Toll. <laughs> hey, everybody. And our guest for today is Vijit Ayi. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and why you are of interest to the React Roundup audience? So, my name is Vijit Ayi, and I'm a software engineer from Mumbai, India. I have been working with React and React Native for the past couple of years and recently I also started working with Node.js. When I'm not at work, you'll find me uh, writing guides and articles for Medium, LogRocket and my personal blog. So yeah, that is pretty much it. That's awesome. This episode is sponsored by Sentry. Sentry is the thing that I put into all of my apps. First, I figure out how to deploy them. I get them up on the web. Then I run Sentry on them. And the reason why is because I need to know what's going on in my app all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of a control freak. What can I say? The other reason is, is that sometimes I miss stuff or I run things in development, you know, it works on my machine. We've all been there, right? And then it gets up in the cloud or up on a server and stuff happens and stuff breaks, right? I didn't configure it right. I'm an idiot and I didn't put the AWS credential in. I didn't do that last week, right? That wasn't me. Anyway, I need that error reported back. Hey, Chuck, I can't connect to AWS. The other thing is, is that this is something that my users often will give me information on, and that's, hey, it's too slow, it's not performing right. And I need to know it's slowing down because I don't want them going off to Twitter when they're supposed to be using my app. And so they need to tell me it's not fast enough, and Sentry does that, right? I put Sentry in, it gives me all the performance data, and I can go, hey, that takes three seconds to load, that's way too long and I can go in and I can fix those issues, and then I'm not losing users to Twitter. So, if you have an app that's running slow, if you have an app that's having errors, or if you just have an app that you're getting started with and you wanna make sure that it's running properly all the time, then go check it out. They support all major languages and frameworks. They recently added support for Next.js, which is cool. Visit sentry.io slash signup and use promo code REACTROUNDUP, that's all one word, REACTROUNDUP, for three free months of their base team plan. So I know you recently wrote a blog post on React Hook Form. It's a personal favorite of mine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So yeah, so React Hook Form is basically a library that helps you handle and manage state of the form like in a very easy and clear way. Yeah. Very cool. So does that include things like validation? Yeah, it includes validation, uh, state management, like form data management and uh, it has like it has a great developer experience and one of the cool things i like about react hook form is that it has isolated re-renders so when a data in the form changes so only that particular component or input changes and not the whole form so that's a huge uh plus on the performance side yeah and even to take a step back i've always found it interesting how react really doesn't give you much, you could argue it doesn't really give you much of anything for, for <laughs> handling forms, which I mean, like there's two different, like anything else, right? You could look at it like, oh, that's a positive because it enables this ecosystem of things. But it, it could also be construed as a negative because if you just went straight to the React documentation, right? And you looked for building a form, you probably would walk away from that pretty disappointed because it's, it's not really going to do a whole ton for you. So I'm curious, like what forms are, what sort of forms are you building? Like what made you like drawn to React hook form? And maybe you could just lay out a little bit of like the form landscape of React. Like were there other options you explored, um, other things? Cause I, I think we could, we, there's a lot we could potentially cover with this cause there's a lot right. out there. Correct. So like when I was starting out, I started with Redux form, I guess. 
so uh, like i didn't know that there was other options so for me redux was a go to library when it came to state management but uh, as i explored more then i realized that okay so i don't need the whole state like the form state to be in the global state so i decided that okay cool so i need to look out for a new library so then i looked up formic so formic was a great great library for me like it was like i used to install that on pretty much every project that i worked on until i found react hook form that was even more like i found it even more better in terms of performance and developer experience now uh, when i was working with formic the thing was that i had to use uh, the wrapper for uh, formic component higher order component so i thought that okay maybe this could be this could be much better and then i started looking around and i found this great library react hook form that uh, that just like that was very great one and yeah the only part of react hook form is that it does not work with class components out of the box so you have to create a you know a wrapper or something like that are you using a lot of class components uh not really like currently like the code base currently i'm working on pretty much has everything on function components <laughs> so so now we're a big issue yeah okay yeah yeah so can you tell folks who haven't actually tried out react hook form like so what are the basic mechanics of using this so like you can just use the use like it has a use form hook so the use form hook basically returns a, an object with the, a register function a set values function values object and the errors and set errors so these are the basic ones and so uh, if you want to re- you know get data from an input you just pass the uh, you just destructure the register object on that input and it will just do its own magic so that is like a very basic implementation nice right you don't have and to does, use a wrapper component or anything like that it's just nice and, and does it work with stuff like material ui or components like that people are using those yeah it does work with material ui like any third party component that has ref or that exposes the ref you can pretty much use react hook form with it but in some cases uh, we don't ha- usually get the option to use ref so you can use the controller component or the use controller hook of react hook form yeah and that will do the trick for you cool so yeah i remember from the, the documentation there were some really good examples of all of right. these systems working together so it's really yeah, well yeah. documented that way yeah the documentation is pretty nice and they have like they have uh, the api reference of every every component every hook that they have and it's very, uh, very well explained and detailed there so like your single source of truth would be the documentation <laughs> Nice. I'm I'm really interested in the performance aspect of this because I I've just been kind of perusing the React Hook form site because in my head like the two big players in the React form world are Formic and React Hook form or at least those are the two that seem to come up the most and it it sounds like what you said like performance was the main sort of differentiating feature for you so I'm curious like did you what were you using to like benchmark or determine those performance problems were you using like benchmarks numbers or was it bad enough that like it was even like visibly <laughs> noticeable in your applications yeah, yeah yeah so i'll tell you a story so i got this you know a uh, form which had over 20 24 25 inputs so and there was no library being used there 
so it was just a uh, i think it was a custom hook with the uh, use reduce, reducer or use state i think and what was happening is every time you you know press the keyboard on an, any input so the whole form rendered and the form was quite heavy like it had 25 inputs in there and uh, every time you pressed a key the whole form would lag you would visibly see it so it was the worst so then i had to take a call so like i uh, migrated from that custom hook to the react hook form nice so for folks who are in your like doing the kind of stuff that you did with redux and and forms manager in redux does using something like react hook form preclude using redux can you use the two together yeah yeah you can definitely use them together and you no know, they both have different functions so for example if you think if my like the real question is do you want your form state to be global or not if you like if you want it to be global you can go with redux form not a problem but but in most cases the, the i think the form state should be local like should be local to that particular component and so react hook form just does a job for you okay so you use react hook form then to manage the local form and then once it's done or saved or canceled then you'd fire off an action to redux yeah. to say this is the new state that kind of thing Correct. okay right. cool very good very nice i'm curious i keep coming back to the performance aspect of this but <laughs> for the isolated like re-render stuff that's is that just built into the way react hook form works is there something you have to be like careful of of how you approach things or like are there any sort of like foot guns or things to be aware of or does it kind of just is that just sort of the design that it works in that isolated sort of way yeah react hook form is built uh, with performance in mind so it uses re- uncontrolled inputs right it leverages ref so that the whole no component does not re-renders only that particular input i see so and I'm guessing, like, does does Formic work more? Ba- or, yeah, does Formic work more on like a controlled basis then, where it's actually having to then adapt, uh, like, sort of re-render based off t- like each key presser to like each change, e- that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Formic Formic does that. Formic re-renders on every change. Like, it's been a while since I used Formic, so like, I don't know the current state. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I think it. I'm guessing it sort of depends on what you're building, right? Because the, your considerations for building a login form, like chances mm-hmm. are like you're not going to hit any performance issues on a username and a mm-hmm. password sort of thing. But I think with forms specifically, like it's totally reasonable to have forms with 20 some inputs. Mm-hmm. I, I've worked on big insurance apps in the past and those things are just absolute monsters, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, those are like real world, real considerations. So it's, I don't know. I don't know if there's a question here. I'm just sort of uh, interested in the different approaches these libraries are taking. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to talk about controlled versus uncontrolled because I don't know if everybody is up to speed on that. So a controlled input is when, and this is what you see kind of in a traditional React walkthrough, which is like you've got use state. You know, which would be have your state of your text field, right? And you have value equals and that value. And then on change, you go and set the state and all that. And that would be a controlled input, right? And then uncontrolled input is where you just have a ref. And you got a ref to that. 
that component. And then when you need the value, you just go to the ref.current.value, whatever it is, and you get the value. And there, and, and there you go. And there's a, a big speed boost in using those uncontrolled components. And actually, in the React documentation, they now recommend that. So if, if that's the basic mechanism of React Hook Form is to do that in, with uncontrolled inputs, that's actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, too, for beginners, like if anybody here hasn't tried building a form in React without any libraries, it's it's a worthwhile effort to do once, probably only once, just to see like how painful it can get. Because it sounds like you say like, oh, you like use state and then like you need an on change handler that updates the state and like you do it for one form control. And it's like, oh, OK, whatever. But then you work in a real app that has once you get to like three or four fields on a form, you instantly realize like, okay, like I, I do not want to type this anymore. I'm either going to make a mistake <laughs> or like, I'm going to lose my mind typing all of this out. So I think that's what leads you to the, the Google searches that brings us to a, to a library like this, because it just gets, it gets monotonous at any sort of scale whatsoever. Oh yeah. There's, there's validation. And then there's also you know, managing dirty state. And errors, you know, it, it's not an error until somebody puts in the wrong value, and then it's dirty, and and it's an error, and all, and you have to do this on a per field basis. It's a huge, huge pain. Yeah, actually, that leads me to a question. So, with React Form, is it only about the like logic end of things? Does it help you presentationally at all? Like, well, does it, or is that totally up to you? Like, will it help with where you place validation messages or anything like that? Well, not really. Like. It does not help with any, uh, you know, presentation side, but it does give you the in, uh, independence to, you know, work with whatever design you got, and you can uh, access the errors object from the, you know, use form hook, and then you know you just place wherever you, you know, want the error to be displayed. Do you have any libraries you've used or you recommend for that sort of thing? Because I think probably for most people you need a form like this almost to me sounds like one part of the problem right like i need like the plumbing mm -hmm. under the hood but then i also want my inputs to look good i want air messages to show up logically because i mean we could almost have a full conversation on the ux side of like how forms are supposed to work right because uh, that can come into play too and libraries can somewhat help with that so i'm curious what you've used in the past for that sort of thing and if you have any recommendations so i worked with material ui before like I have used Material UI, uh, Bootstrap, and yeah, also Bulma. So these libraries help with the presentation side. So you can simply integrate React Hook form with these, you know, UI libraries, and it is pretty seamless and works great. And I think are these these Hook libraries, I think both Hook form and and Formic, they're they're tiny, aren't they? Like, I, do people have to be worried about file size of this? I'm I'm pretty sure they're small. Yeah, okay. React Hook form has like, yeah, has a very tiny size. Like I think it's five or six kp. <laughs> oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bundle phobia I think puts it at twenty four, which is still like super light. Bundle phobia is a great site for doing that that kind of stuff. I love that name, bundle phobia. <laughs> bundle phobia, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work 
or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So Vajit, you went from Redux to Hooks, right? And right. tell us a little bit about that, that migration for you, because I think it is a very different model of thinking about how you manage and, and structure and store state. Right, right. So like, like any other beginner developer, I decided straight away that I wanted to use Redux because <laughs> everywhere I looked online, everyone was like, okay, you if you're using React, you also need a state management library like Redux or Mobix. So <laughs> I was, so, okay, I was like, okay, let's, uh, okay, fine, let's go with it. Let's go with Redux. And I pretty much started with there. And then I've like got into this form problem. Like I did not, uh, like I had to write the form myself. So I was like, okay, let's, go with Redux font because it is, you know, compatible. So I choose that. And then after that, I was like, then, then I realized that, okay, I don't need Redux for every project that I work on. So I can use context, right? I can use context. So then, yeah, then I sort of changed my thought process into, you know, think uh, state man management from a component level instead of a global level. So, cool. Yeah. And were there anything, was there any learning that you had to do to make that happen? Like, were there any like, oh, yeah, I have to rethink my my thinking about how I would do this versus that? Not really. Like, I just, uh, you know, I just went through a couple of guides on those topics, like how to structure your uh, React project or how to organize your React code. Like, so those, top, uh, those sort of topics. Uh, yeah, that is it. Cool. So you said you have some React Native experience as well. So I'm, I'm curious what the the form world is like there, because it looks like React Hook Forms website says they run on React Native as well. So are you using the same sure. library on the web and native? How does all that work? Yes, yes. So on the native world as well, like I used to work with Formic, but then I switched to use Form, this uh, React Hook Form. And uh, then I realized that you cannot use ref directly. So you had to use, unfortunately, you had to use the controller higher order component for that in React Native. And so what does that mean? Does, like you're like, is it like registering what the components are? So like, because I imagine like the part that, and I did some native stuff for a while too, but this still blows my mind, but like something about the, the act of like React talking to like native iOS and native Android controls. I, I imagine what like this is like wrapping it so that Formic knows how to talk to those React Native controls. Is that more or less uh, right or am I making things up? Yeah, like the same thing only because like the controller, uh, like in React Native, your the native inputs have uh, these props like on change text, on blur, etc. So these work... Uh, like uh, these do, do the same job as your uh, web uh, web component so so that is pretty much it and uh, basically controller has this uh, re render render prop render prop which gives you these value on change uh, the, these properties like on change and value of that particular field 
and then you can just simply map those uh, field to your component like for example your input can have a name and yeah so important part is that the controller must have a name property otherwise the uh, uh, the form wouldn't know which field it is that's meant to. So I'm curious, the React Native application that you were working on, is it the same mm -hmm. form as the one that you had on the web? No, no, no. Oh, okay. We don't have that much inputs in that form, like simple login, logout, yeah, those sort of things. All right. Because I think it's great, the idea of sharing business logic code, like validation and how the forms work together and the dependencies and the configuration of that and sharing that between React and React Native I, I would love to see that because that's the point, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I worked back in a few years ago, I worked on the Native Script team and we were like a kind of sort of competitor with React Native and we had some stuff in that space as well. And that was always the dream. It's the reality is it's it can work, but it, it has to be like the right, it's got to be an app that's like relatively simple. Like it's got to be complex enough that you're actually getting some value out of sharing code, but it also can't be so complex because once you start needing things customized for each platform, then the value of sharing that code can kind of fall apart. So we had some success stories. We had some people that were doing it, but they were like the, the like, I, I guess like low to mid complexity sorts of situations where it tended to work out the best, but it's interesting stuff. Um, and I, I still find it cool like it even like i said i've worked in this world for a while and even when i see websites for this and they say it can work on web and native that still just strikes me as really really fun because how cool is it that you can learn this library and then you go over to your ios or android app development and it's like oh hey i already know how to do forms here like that's kind of cool actually yeah and there are component libraries out there nowadays that supposedly are cross react and react native so that could be really cool we have more questions so we talked about React Hook Forms. You, you said you work on other stuff. Are there any other topics you're you're interested in that you've been writing about, you're passionate about? Well, I've worked with, like, have you guys worked with Type ORM before? That's uh, could you say that again? Type, uh, type ORM. ORM. I yeah. am not. No. So it's basically, so I've used the, uh, Type ORM with React Native. So, like, it's like a, you know, a model layer for communicating with the SQLite database. So you can, you know, use objects to represent data in the database. So nice. And this would be on the client side? Yeah, yeah it's on the client side. Nice. Like, type oh, cool. ORM pretty much works on every platform, like on uh, client as well, and uh, as well as on uh, the server with uh, SQL and uh, MongoDB, I think. So, yeah. So Very cool. Does it have TypeScript bindings? So it's actually like strongly typed if you want mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Nice. It has, Do you, it has type. Uh, like, do you do any TypeScript? Yeah. Uh, not very. So I'm, I'm curious, TypeORM, like this is like, I'm I'm just trying to think of how I use this in a real world app, right? So I'm building my React app. I've got my form and I need to push, I'm building an insurance form. So I need people's like name, address, that sort of thing. And then presumably I need to push this to some database. So is this helping me then like, map my calls to actually like directly inject that data into the database and update it or how is I'm I guess I'm not totally clear on what this library is is doing mm -hmm. for me so like uh, are you uh, talking about the client side or the server side like 
Potentially oh. both. I'm, I, I've, because type RRM is, is it entirely, well, you said it, it works on both ends of things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So on the client side, like uh, in general, what you do is you have some tables like in your database and you have the columns. So uh, you can create an, you know, an object, which is called an entity to represent those tables. Right. So you, if you have a user's table, you can create a user entity and have properties like name, password, and other other stuff. So in terms of client, in client, what you can do is in a React, React native application, you can have a form, you know, and then on submit, you can just call the insert method or the save method of type ORM with that entity. So from an entity, you can create a repository and repository gives you access to those methods like save and insert. And basically, you just give those values to the same method. Gotcha. So it, it's kind of helping with some of the boilerplate so that you don't have to like wire right. all of that up right. yourself. Right. So uh, here the main uh, like the main uh, problem that TypeRM solves on the client uh, on the React Native world is that you don't have to write the SQL raw SQL queries yourself. Right? Uh, so as a front end developer, I don't need to write SQL queries like. Uh, directly so basically type orm gives you you know ability to write insert into database like communicate with database without having to write queries oh that's interesting i didn't even think about this from like a react native perspective but i i guess like when you're in react native you could have the the database right there right like you don't have to hit a back end to do it so that's actually kind of cool if you could generate it itself you're like instantaneously working with the database without any extra work right yeah, particularly if you want like a cache or something like that, and you want to manage that, this is a really nice way to do that in a kind of a strongly typed way and and get you know structure the data on the client just as well as you do on the back end. It's pretty cool, and it works on native script. Why don't you make? Yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. So then this this sort of fascinates me a little bit. So if you're working with like a local SQL based database, is that are you working on that like in a cache sort of setting or? Are you eventually taking that that data and then like persisting it to a backend as well? And how does that interaction work? Yes. Yes. So we usually store like it as a cache, as a local storage, mainly for you know better providing better user experience. So you know whenever the user you know push some data, we first store it in the local database, right? And then you know once he has a stable connection, we then push it to our server. So that's how it works. So it just basically helps you uh, in providing better user experience and users don't have to wait for that data to be pushed. Like it can be, it can happen in a background background service or asynchronously in the background. And does type ORM help with that specifically or it is something else that handles like the syncing of the, the database? No, type ORM does not uh, uh, do that out of the box. Like for, for me, we had a separate table, which, uh, you know, which map these entities to a Boolean value, like is synced is one or zero. Like if it is synced, then we don't sync it like like that. That's really step. handy from a customer. Yeah, that's really handy from a customer perspective. You know, being able to have that offline mode and then work offline and then resync when you have connectivity. That's just absolutely wonderful. Right. Yeah. So you don't have to show you know a no internet page to your customer. I imagine though, like they're you probably do have to deal with the like out of sync type of problems or like, like, do you have 
in your apps are users like isolated in their own data? Like, do you have to worry about like users potentially messing with other data and like how to deal with conflicts and stuff like that? So usually we have like a data, like the local database does not have the ability to store data for multiple users. Like the currently logged in users that user that you have only uh, that user's data would be available in the client side. And for if suppose any, like we don't sync all the data to the server, only what we require. But in case there is, you know, there is a slight miss or inconsistency that is just, you know, you have to roll with it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely makes it a lot easier because like those sorts of situations, I've, I've dealt with people in the past that are, it's like, oh, we want our apps to, to totally work offline. And the situation is like, it's a, it's a group of employees that are all working on like some sort of dashboard, right? And they can all be messing with the same ones. And it's like, okay, like you, we, we can do this, but like what happens if employee A changes the order date and employee B changes the order date offline and then the employee B comes back online and it's just becomes like, uh, you can spend yeah. lots and lots of cycles and time trying to work through those. And I know like there are frameworks out there that try to, to have smart defaults around that, but none of them are especially fun when you get into that situation. Last in wins. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Period. Right. Make it easy. Time for picks? Yeah, Vegeta, is there any other pieces of tech, any other things you uh, you think are interesting or want to discuss before we head into picks? Well, uh, like, can we talk about the uh, backend stuff? Like, sure. Yeah. So, uh, like, are you guys familiar with Nest.js, the yeah, framework? That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. Can we? Yeah. Go for it. Oh, uh, okay. So, Vijit, I think you also have some experience with Nest.js. Why don't you tell us about that? So, yeah. So, Nest.js is a, you know, a backend frame, a Node.js framework that, uh, you know, helps you organize your code and have strong typings on your services. So, like, which comes really handy when you have, you know, a lot of services and a lot of APIs. And certainly, and also it has a great developer experience. Once again, you can isolate your code and you can have separate modules as per your business logic. And yeah. Cool. So this is for building your REST backend in Node, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, right. Nice. And it makes it really easy to do that? Yeah, so basically, Nest.js has these uh, boilerplate commands. So you just run a command for a module, and it would automate. It would create a module file for you. So it is inspired by Angular, right? It has syntax and decorators similar to Angular, and they have they have pretty much everything or uh, you know covered in the library. If you want cache, if you want database, and uh, type ORM is uh, you know is the go-to choice for handling database. So if you're thinking about building your own REST API, instead of just going direct to like an express and just building it down to the, the kind of base layer, you can use Nest.js yeah. and kind just, of level up there. Nice. Right, right. And it, it's N-E-S-T, correct? Not N-E-X-T. Right. <laughs> I swear like the yes. React world is Two totally like different things, yes. It's like if you're building a front-end React framework, you have to name it something that starts with R-E, like Remix, Redux, Re React. And like if you're doing back-end stuff, you got to go N-E apparently. Um, <laughs> I did have a question though. With Nest, is is there anything proprietary about it? Can you then take your back-end and throw it up on like 
any backend or is there specific hosting requirements? No, like there's no property license or anything. Like you can you know, create your own code base and just push it to AWS or any server. Okay. And they have cats all over their website. So there's, there's that too. <laughs> That's always a win. Yeah. <laughs> well, Vajit, thank you for bringing some great stuff to us today. And I think that brings us around to picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So, Vijit, do you want to start us off and give your pick? Yeah, uh, so my pick would be Stephen Grider's microservices course. So he talks about microservices, Node.js in great detail in that course. So do check it out. Fantastic. TJ? So I'm going to pick a game called Super Mario 3D World for the Switch. It's a fun multiplayer game. It's it's basically just your classic Mario, right? I think that's that's they know what they're doing, right? They're not there's not much curveballs, but it's it's just typical like really well executed. It's a great multiplayer game, so I play it with my kids. It's up to four people simultaneously playing classic Mario and it's just, you know, if you're if you're looking for Mario, it's just a really uh, good one for the Switch. So we've been having some some fun with that and playing through it. And it's pretty challenging, actually, too. I've been playing Mario for a long time. Uh, but it, I've got to get my kids, like, got to train them up, right? Like, got to get the next generation ready. Yeah, I've been playing some Ratchet & Clank lately. And I'm in a competition with my next-door neighbor to see which oh, one yeah. of us can go faster. And unfortunately, my work's <laughs> taken over my life. So <laughs> I haven't res- gotten... I know, work. Stupid Ugh. responsibilities. I mean, always right? getting in the way. Adulting, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> so my pick for today is NX.dev. It's a mono repo management system. It's it's really cool. So I've got a very small engineering team at my company. I mean, it's just basically three folks, and we manage four different applications and like six different libraries. And to do that all in different GitHub repositories would be crazy just in terms of, of managing all that. And so we use a monorepo. And I know there's a lot of contention around that, but they've, it's coming really, really handy for us. And NX, if you haven't actually built your own monorepo, is a fantastic way to do it. It's got extensions for Nest and as we just talked about and Next and just basic React apps or Angular, whatever kind of projects you want to put into this monorepo, it's got generators for them and it makes them all talk together and do it in a really, really nice way. So if you want a monorepo in your project and you're like, hmm, how am I going to get there? Do I need to know how to make this thing myself? You don't have to. NX.dev, check it out. Really cool. We're going to have to do a show on monorepos once because oh, yeah. that's, uh, I have opinions. I think uh, <laughs> it's one of those classic dev topics, right? Everybody, oh my everybody gosh, you, yes. you either like it or you hate it. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Vajit, that's been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's been a great experience coming here. Well, thanks everyone for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.